0: Now it's time for the living Word of God to be exposited before us, and God ex- exercises His authority over His people by His truth in the Word. He shepherds His flock by uh, the Word of God, and so we have that great privilege again this morning uh, to submit ourselves to His Lordship, Christ's Lordship, His shepherding of His people, Matthew chapter 5. You know we're in the Sermon on the Mount, been there for a little while, and uh, we'll be in Matthew for a little while. So if you uh, go out of the country and you come back in two years, we'll be in Matthew. <laughs> and, uh, it's going to take a while. You know, Easter's coming, so I'll have a different sermon. There'll be times, and so it'll take a while to get through the entire book of Matthew. You understand that, don't you? Yes. And uh, so we're, that's the goal. Now, if the rapture comes, <laughs> uh, I won't be here to deliver it. <laughs> Hopefully, you won't be either. <laughs> that would be a real problem. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. We're at the 7th beatitude this morning, I believe it is. Matthew 5, verse 9. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I use as a subject this morning God's peace plan. God has a plan for bringing peace to mankind. Peace to individuals and peace to nations. He alone can bring peace because he is the source of peace. At least six times in the New Testament, Yahweh is called the God of peace. Peace is intrinsic to him. That is, it's one of his attributes. The presence of strife and conflict in the world is traceable to man's fall in the garden of eden adam's disobedience unleashed all manner of human troubles in the world i think we can all testify to the troubles we've seen included in the troubles unleashed was the fracturing of the harmony between god and man and between men and between nations We are living with the legacy of Eden. The legacy of discord and the lack of peace. It's most notably being experienced by the world at this very moment. We're, We're all aware of the naked Russian aggression led by Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. It's a war. That comes from an impure heart, a a heart of an individual who desires power, has no concern for anyone else. That's the nature of fallen men. Depending on how one defines war, there are presently between 40 and 100 wars in the world. Those are armed conflicts. There are smaller wars being fought too, too numerous to enumerate. They are the interpersonal fights. Those that are found in homes. In the workplace. Political fights, legal fights, racial fights. Sometimes even in churches. Man's inclination is toward war, not peace. Even when there is a secession of armed conflict by nations in conflict militarily one cynic remarked, quote peace is a moment when nations take time to reload let that sink in war protesters during the 1960s would say give peace a chance echoing relating the the elusive nature of peace the impermanence of it the people of the 60s and even today think of peace as a matter that is achieved on the human level by human means the people of jesus's day held the same view as well when our lord said blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of god those words must have struck like a thunderbolt to his original hearers. For they were looking for, uh, forward to the coming of the messianic kingdom, which they conceived of in military and nationalistic terms. Remember, at one point, they wanted to force Jesus to be king, John chapter 6, verse 15. They wanted Jesus to use his power to overthrow the romans who were occupying their nation they hated the romans they hated paying taxes to them they hated everything about rome and they hated the fact that they were ruling their land and here's jesus all this power who can mm, create food from a boy's lunch He can work miraculously. Well, certainly, he can be king and restore us, deliver us. That's not what Jesus came to do at that point. When he spoke the words, Blessed are the peacemakers, he was not speaking of national and political difference, uh, deliverance rather, from Rome at that point in time. Our Lord was talking about a more significant deliverance. Spiritual deliverance. Rome's occupation of Israel was a temporary matter in human history. Its oppression could not extend beyond a person's lifetime. But sin's oppression, sin's consequence, extends beyond the mortal life. What then is more important for a person is their soul, not their circumstance. It's good to see circumstances change, but the most important thing that needs to be changed is the soul. Spiritual deliverance is eternally consequential. Spiritual deliverance is the most important thing. It trumps everything else. I would venture to say there's nobody in hell and I wish to live differently. I wish I pursued more money. No. So God's peace plan has a more profound aim. In fact, his plan is for peace for the nation of the world and for Israel. But it has a spiritual foundation. And it's in the future. Israel will be saved. The Bible's clear about that. Romans 11, verse 26. When Jesus returns, he will save. All Israel will be saved. That's on the divine calendar. That's part of his plan, his peace plan. But now, what Jesus is doing is bringing peace to those who savingly believe on him. Peacemaking let's look at it and see what the scripture says the beatitudes describe christian people the word blessed 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 all the way through here describe people who are followers of christ people who have been transformed by him people who are in his kingdom they're the ones who recognize their spiritual poverty they're the poor in spirit they recognized their sin. They recognized they were bankrupt. They had nothing to offer God. They realized that religion couldn't do it. They had nothing with which to purchase salvation. They were spiritually broke. And that sin that they recognized, it caused them to mourn over sin. Mourn over their rebellion against God. They became gentle or meek. They did something else. They hungered and thirsted after righteousness. That's another uh, thing that you know about a person who has really come into a relationship with the Savior because they have a different appetite. They, they desire righteousness. They thirst for it and hunger for it. They're merciful. Merc- blessed are the Merciful. They extend mercy. You know why? Because they had mercy extended to them from God. And they are the poor in, pure in heart. The pure in heart. heart's been cleansed from sin. By the renewing of the work of the Holy Spirit. The regenerating work of the Spirit. And only the pure in heart can be peacemakers. As the word says now let, let's think about these people blessed are the peacemakers they did not initiate their salvation but it was inaugurated by the lord himself he said remember in four seventeen of matthew um, repent and believe the gospel they responded in obedience to christ's command to turn from their sin and believe the gospel that command was a call to salvation repent and believe the gospel in the context of this beatitude, it was the call to peace. First Corinthians seven fifteen, Paul is writing uh, to people and de- dealing with the issue of marital relations and all the problems. He said, "We've been called to peace." The summons to salvation is a call to peace. Now, that word "call" in the New Testament refers to the effectual call of sinners to salvation. The call. It is when God calls a person, they respond. When he effectively calls them, they say yes to Christ. The Westminster Confession of Faith admirably and accurately explains the call, the efficacious call, the irresistible call. Let me tell you what the, the divines uh, said. These theologians who met and they looked at what the scripture says about salvation and they pinned these words, which are right uh, in, the, in the 1600s. Here, the words are concerning the call. Listen. All those whom God hath predestinated unto life and those only, he is pleased and in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit out of a state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh renewing their wills and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to jesus christ yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace end of quote the reality here god does it he has to save no sinner wants to come to god on his own no sinner the sinners love their sin. They're in sin and in darkness. They're slaves there. And God has to call them out of it by his redeeming power. If you are a Christian this morning, it's because God at some point through the gospel, by his spirit, he called you to Christ. And you said yes, because he worked in your heart to make you willing. And you said, yes, I see Jesus. I see his glory. I see his purity. I see all that he's done. And I want to embrace him turning from my sin. That was God at work in you. You didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm just going to get saved because I think it's a good idea. No, God had to change you from the inside out. He made you willing. He didn't force you to come. You wanted to come. Once he worked in your heart, you said, I want Jesus. I come of my own accord because he has worked in you to make you willing. That's grace. It's grace. Grace. People talk about grace. You know, in this country, people always sing an amazing grace. Secular people sing. Ama- they have no idea what grace is. But shut up, please, please, please. You don't know what John Newton was saying. John Newton was talking about special saving grace. The grace that saves from damnation to hell. The grace that takes a person from earth to heaven when they die. That's the grace he's talking about. And that requires the almighty power of God to do that for dead sinners. You know, it takes power to raise people from the dead, right? Do you know it takes power to raise a dead sinner from spiritual death? Only God can do that. And he does that for sinners. He calls them to salvation. He calls them to saving faith. When they hear it, they come. And at that very moment of trust, at that very moment of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, they have peace with God. Romans 5, 1 puts it like this, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The wonderful reality is that at the moment you became a Christian, at the moment anybody becomes a Christian, it is at that precise moment that the war that God has against them is terminated. It's over permanently. And now in this passage, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9, they're the ones who are at peace with God. Peace with God. And to have peace, people, you know, you've heard the saying, you better make your peace with God. And I often wonder if people really understand what they're talking about. Because if there is no justification, if there's no trust in Jesus Christ, there can be no peace with God. The ground of our peace is Christ. He alone is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 puts it this way emphatically. For he himself is our peace. There is no one else. There is no one else. There can be no one else who can bring us into harmony with God. It's impossible. For there is one God. And one mediator also between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's one God, not a multiple number of gods, one. And there's only one mediator between that one God. And it's the man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to get to God in salvation, you've got to go through Jesus. He said, I am the door. He didn't say, I am the windows. I am the door, the only entrance into salvation. His cross work then was indispensable to bringing, providing peace to us. People say, oh, oh, we we know. Let me tell you something. Christians need to be reminded of the gospel. Christians need to be reminded of the gospel. You need to be reminded of how you got where you are in terms of your spiritual life. Paul was writing to Christians when he wrote the words I'm going to quote here in a moment he was writing to the church at Colossae the Christians who comprise that church in the Lycus Valley the Colossian church and he said to them in Colossians 1 verse 20 and through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross Paul said God through Christ He reconciled all things to himself. He made peace through the blood of Christ's cross. The blood is death. Colossians 1.22 He has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death and in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. God did it through Jesus Christ reconciliation uh, reconciling all of that what that means is from enmity to amity from hostility to friendship God through the death of Jesus Christ reconciled sinners to himself all who would believe we were not his friends we were hostile to him he's at war with us but he reconciled us to himself by the death of Christ now we have friendship with him now we have peace with him You're a child of God. You have that peace. Before the cross, all those things were prospective. From the perspective of verse nine in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was going to accomplish all of that. Now is retrospective. Previously it was anticipatory. Now is an accomplished reality. That peace is all predicated on Christ, His death, and His resurrection. Proved that his death accomplished what God intended for it. Now notice the text says here in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed favor of God. They're peacemakers. Ah, Notice something. Peacemakers. (laughs) How are we peacemakers? We're to proclaim the message of peace to the lost. That's our task. The gospel is the means by which God makes peace with sinners. In Matthew chapter 10, in a year or two, a thousand years, I don't know when we'll get to it and work through it. But right now, Matthew chapter 10, verse 13, I want you to see something. Jesus commissions his 12 to go out and preach the gospel. And in Matthew chapter 10 verse 13 just briefly notice what it says if the house is worthy give it your notice blessing of peace but if it is not worthy take back your blessing of peace what is the blessing of peace it is the gospel they were on a mission to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and they were to take the gospel by which peace is given for though, to those who believe but if they say no to the gospel they reject it uh, what Jesus says to his men take back your peace don't give it to them if they say I don't want the peace I don't want the gospel the greatest mistake any human being can ever make is saying no to peace from God Amen. it's the greatest mistake it's an eternal tragedy say no to him To refuse his peace. To refuse to end the war with God. That is not smart. You don't want to fight him. In his grace and his mercy. Extends peace to sinners. Oh isn't God good? That he extends to those who revile him. Those who hate him. Those who rebel against him. He says listen I want to. Reconcile you to me. I want to give you my peace eternally. I want to do that for you because God is good and God is merciful and God is gracious and God is loving. That's good news, isn't it? Don't turn it away. Don't turn away from it. Our job as believers, as peacemakers, that we do. We that's what we do. We take it to them. Peter understood that. In Acts chapter uh, 10, Acts chapter 10, you can see what Peter did. Peter went to a Gentile, Cornelius' house, and he said these words, Acts chapter 10, verse 36, verse 35, start. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Uh, verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel. Notice this, preaching peace through jesus christ he is lord of all preaching peace peter went and he preached peace and they preached peace by preaching the gospel to gentiles who heard the good news because jesus christ is lord of all He is lord of jew and gentile so when we take the gospel to people what we're doing we're proclaiming peace to them we're proclaiming to them how they can come into a relationship of peace and reconciliation with God that's what it means to be a peacemaker In fact we have the ministry of reconciliation Listen to this write it down and you can look at it later 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 through 21 He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation to Paul and apostles first and to us as well. So we have this this responsibility to the larger world to take the gospel of peace to men. That's God's peace plan. Individually, he saves people. He brings them into a relationship of peace with himself. That's the peace that men and women need, who are outside Christ in his kingdom. But there's another aspect of peacemaking, and it's among fellow believers. Oh, I would like for us, if you'd like to do this, turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And I'm just going to pull a thing or two out of this text for us this morning peacemaking among fellow believers Mark 9 verse 50 salt is good but if the salt becomes salt unsalty with what will you make it salty again have salt in yourselves and be at peace (laughs) with one another Okay, let me uh, try to explain what's going on here in this instructive text from our Lord to His original disciples. You see, the disciples had been bickering with one another. They were saying, "Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom?" It's amazing. Jesus is going to die, but they're wondering, "I'm I'm going to be the greatest?" Mm. Jesus says have salt in yourselves salt as you know is a preservative Jesus told them and tells us by extension that only a holy life is preserved by righteousness peace with fellow believers peace cannot be achieved or maintained among arguing and prideful Christians be at peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ be first to make peace then conflict, disharmony, that's what Christians are to do y'all can say amen Amen. (laughs) (laughs) that's how it's to be that's what Jesus says and be at peace with one he's saying this to the original men, the disciples you know James, Matthew, Peter. I know some of you can't imagine Peter and the others being caught up in, oh yeah, they're just like us. We tend to think these were some kind of plaster. No, those guys were just like us. They had to grow. Jesus had to teach them. Now I'm going to tell you another thing about peacemakers, what they're like. Um, James chapter Three, You can uh, turn to that portion of the Word of God if you'd like, or you can just listen where you are. I'll just be there briefly, James chapter 3, and there are a couple of verses there, verses 17 and 18 in James chapter 3. And I just want to pull out of these verses a couple of things related to our, our topic here, peacemaking peacemakers and God's plan of peace and how it functions in a local assembly among believers. Verse seventeen uh, James three, it says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure, the but they're contrasting what was just stated in the previous verses. The above of course is from God. True wisdom, that is skilled living, godly living, leads to peace. Notice peace peaceable is peace loving verse 18 and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace righteousness flourishes when God's people seek peace right that's how we're to live seeking peace being wise how do we know we're wise one way we'll know it is if we're peaceful people harmonious people seeking peace that's how we know From a biblical standpoint. Now that's within the body. Now what about in a larger world? Let me tell you what. We all uh, live in a world. Where there are unbelievers right? And. It can be tough. I I know it can be. Don't think because I stand behind this. uh, Desk that I don't know what that's like. Yeah I do. In Romans 12 verse 18 says this. If possible so far as. It depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Isn't, isn't God wonderful? He, don't, he doesn't let us off the hook. So now y'all be at peace in the church, but you know when you get outside there, uh, that's another story. No, no, no. He says all men. Conflict in the world is inevitable to his exhortation to be at peace with all man the apostle adds the double qualification notice it in this text if possible the second qualification so far as it depends on you we are to be the people who pursue peace we are to have a positive impact we are to be the peacemakers sometimes that's not possible Because of the wickedness of others. That's why it says, if possible. And so far as it depends on you. So you're doing everything you can. You're promoting peace. You're trying. But they they just won't do it. They don't want peace. Just be sure that you're doing everything you should do to promote peace. And I'll tell you another thing you do. Scripture says "Then you don't seek vengeance if they don't want peace. That's not your place. Not your job. You leave them to the Lord, right? Amen. Does he not say it? Verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God for his written vengeance is mine. I will repay, said the Lord, let God do it. <laughs> He can take care of them. And let him do it. That's your responsibility. You're not dirty, Harry. <laughs> I'm going to make my day. No, that's a worldly ungodly demonic attitude. It's not the attitude of Christ. She let God handle that. People like to talk about their peacemaker. Referring to their weapon. And it kills somebody. Uh, Peace is made. Wow. That's not Christ. Remember, Christ told Peter, put up your sword. Put it in the sheath. Christ was reviled. But he committed himself to him who righteous judges righteously first Peter that's how we're to do it God says I'll repay let him has his own ways and he'll do it in his own time trust his word you just obey him and receive his blessing you notice um, as you read the Bible you'll see something that's a recurring theme and that is when there's obedience there's blessing from God it's hard, to, it's hard to miss, really, if you're paying attention. You see that repeatedly in the Bible. In the Old Testament, you see God said, to Israel, you obey me, keep my commandments, and I'll bless you. And he enumerated the ways he had blessed. That's how you're blessed from God. Just obey him. And watch him work. That's how you do it. Well, let me move to another text it says this Hebrews 12 14 pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord pursue peace with all men and holy living one way to do this is to watch your speech Proverbs 15 1 says this a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger right how you want to live. It's how you want to relate to the world of people according to the word and will of God. Now we've talked about uh, peace toward those who are lost. Peace in the body of Christ. Peace relate to those outside and the conflicts that arise from that. Uh, let's look at global peace. With apologies to Ron or Tess. <laughs> Some of y'all remember Meta World Peace is his new name. Uh, Brother, you don't know how it's going to (laughs) come. Global peace is coming. There will be world peace. It's part of God's design for human history. In Isaiah chapter 9, a familiar text, a familiar verse, everyone in this room, I'm sure, has heard it uh, more than once because you've lived through a number of Christmases and you've heard this said in verse 6 of Isaiah 9, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. prince is a term for a government official messiah will have the world's government when our lord returns to earth at his second coming he will establish a world kingdom he will dominate the entire globe it'll be a spiritual political kingdom over which he rules and it will have christian and others mediating jews the body of christ and others prior to the church Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. That text is telling us about what is going to happen before it happens. He is going to come and He's going to reign over the entire world. Then there will be peace. Well, how will this peace be achieved? The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter two verse four. It it's clear how it will be achieved and he will judge between the nations speaking of Messiah and will render decisions for many people and they will get this hammer their swords in the plowshares and their spears in the pruning hooks nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war Hmm. think about that today people talk about disarmament nuclear disarmament and they disarm to a limit there are still thousands of nuclear weapons that could blow us all up in a moment's notice there's no disarmament we have the United Nations we have NATO the Pentagon the military industrial complex West Point, Air Force Academy, Space Force Annapolis, all of these all for conflict, war which is necessary in a fallen world it 's all going to be done away with that 's what the text says when jesus comes that 's a prophecy well how is it Jesus is going to get the nations to end war turn their weapons of uh, warfare into agricultural implements they go from spending their military budgets on building weapons to spending their military budgets transformed into producing food how in the world is that going to how can you get nations to do that and they say no more war done how is that going to happen on earth let me tell you how it's going to happen it's because there's going to be somebody who's going to do what only he can do. Isaiah 9 6. I read it a moment ago. The words wonderful counselor. That refers to Jesus Christ. He's a wonderful counselor, He will to the nations give supernatural wisdom. They will listen to him. He will say, this is how it's to be done. This is what needs to happen. We never thought of it like that. Of course not, because it's supernatural wisdom. And they say, what would Jesus tell us what to do, what needs to be done, how not to? Well, we just, we don't need weapons any longer. He's a wonderful counselor. Oh, and by the way, that same Jesus will give that counsel in the future When he's here on earth again, it's the same Jesus gives that counsel to you if you get in his word. He can teach you how to live. Supernatural wisdom. And they will lay down their arms. It's going to be over a thousand year period. One thousand years. And when that is done, we move into the eternal state where there'll be perfect, undisturbed, eternal peace. That's where we hit it. Oh, I'm not done. I got to hurry, people. Y'all holding me up. Uh, Back over in um, (laughs) verse 9. Let me get this done. For they shall be called sons of God. Almost neglected that. Back to us. Peacemakers will have this glorious title, sons of God. Let me explain. Son of is a Hebrew idiom. Haddon Robinson tells us the Hebrew doesn't have many adjectives. They spoke of the son of something. Son of showed those who shared a characteristic. For example, Barnabas is called the son of consolation. He was a consoler. That was his character. Judas is called the son of perdition. You've read in the Bible, son of Belial. Someone shares a, the, the characteristics of Belial, the devil. In English, we have a similar expression. Son of a gun. Which refers to a parent, the child. What they mean by this son of a gun, the child is as explosive and loud as his mother or father. Why, he's a son of a gun. He's loud, explosive. you notice... We're called sons of God. Because we share his characteristic as a peacemaker. It's an honor to be called a son of God. Because you're a peacemaker. And throughout all eternity, we're going to be in the presence of our Savior. Savior. He made peace with us. And we lived our lives making peace with others by bringing them to God, to Christ, to salvation. Being peacemakers in the body of Christ. And we will have that glorious title that's found here in verse 9. Sons of God there's no better title than to share have said that you share the characteristics of the living and true God Amen. Amen Let us pray Our Father we thank you for your truth May it sink deeply in our hearts and minds govern our life our thinking We might be your people in every respect, including this one, especially. In a world that's often in turmoil, conflict, unpeaceful actions, attitudes, all of that sort of thing. May we stand out as people who are peaceful and peacemakers. Indeed, may the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We pray you do these things in the life of your people for your glory and your praise and our joy. As we obey your word. We pray for lost men and women in this place today that they will come to saving knowledge of the Savior. They'll end their warfare with you. Bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a work you do in hearts, Lord. We pray you do it. For their sake, eternally. We pray these things in the glorious name of Christ. Amen.